Welcome to Define You Radio, the place to be for real talk and real tips to help you define your personal and professional life. Class is in session with your host, the Southern Belle of Bold, Valencia Griffin Wallace. Pens and papers ready. Class is now in session. Yes, well, hello, hello, and welcome to the 2018 season of Define You Radio. I am your host, the Southern Belle of Bold Valencia Griffin Wallace. Define You Radio is the place to be to get all the life lessons, strategies, and more to help you define life on your own terms. It's like you're sitting in your living room with a glass of wine, cocoa, or coffee with your best girlfriend or girlfriends, and just really enjoying life and learning some stuff. That's what Define You Radio is all about. So make sure you are subscribed and connected to all things you, including Define You Movement, where classes and sessions seven days a week. You can find out more at defineuradio.com. So this month's series is on unapologetic living, and classes definitely in session tonight with a special hot seat edition with two fabulous co-hosts that you guys will be hearing quite often to make it, you know, mix it up, add a little more spice to the gumbo. They are two beautiful women who I love with their own movements because they're moving things on Copeland and Shannon Ward. I'll bring them on in a second because I want you to, kind of get in your head what the hot seat is. It is something new for Define You Radio. So there will be topics and discussions, and, of course, we'll probably take questions. So make sure you stay tuned and connected. But tonight we are talking all things motherless child. And if you are connected with me, you know Motherless Child is my best-selling book that was dropped February 6th. On Am- it's available at Amazon and on my website, ValenciaGWallace.com. We're getting down to the good, bad, and ugly things that were left out because guess what? My co-hosts have questions. So I'm taking not only the hot seat, but I'm taking the side seat to let them drill in with their questions. It's going to be an interesting night. Make sure you let your friends know so they can hop on. And if you have questions as we go along in the show, just press 1 on your phone. With that being said, let me go ahead and bring on my co-host to tell you a little bit about themselves. So, Shannon, you want to go ahead and kick it off. Who are you? What's your movement? What you're about? Go ahead. <laughs> Well, good evening, good evening, everyone. My name is Shannon Shadon Ward. I go by Shadon, um, singer, songwriter, author, speaker, uh, daughter, sister, mother, friend, everything. Um, coach, I um, have my movement called FLY, and what that stands for is Finally Loving Yourself. Um, I actually just released my first book myself um, entitled Fly as well, and it's taking you through my journey of how I learned how to love myself and what it really meant from a holistic standpoint. Um, so I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm excited to to finally have Valencia on the hot seat. I'm excited about that. Um, <laughs> yes, we have questions. We have questions, and we are ready. So um, I'm excited to be here tonight, and thank you so much for having me. Hashtag amen and oh, Lord, <laughs> is all I got to say, because I, I don't know what questions they have, guys. I am, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting night, like I said. So, Miss LaVon, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? Hi, I'm LaVon Copeland, and I am author, a speaker, and teacher, and I love to say that I am your um, daily reminder to be selfish. I just offer you that motivational reminder to be selfish and to embrace who you are. The I Am Selfish movement is about not just owning who you are but understanding who you are so that you can be what you've been called to be in this world by identifying your purpose and 
finding that voice that will allow you to roar. Mm. Hashtag amen one more again. So with that being said, ladies, both of you guys have read the book. So I want to know your thoughts. And this is where I hand the host reins over to you, Queen. So roll with it. Let's go. So um, this is Shannon. Um, I have to say I absolutely love the book. And what I loved about the book is because I am a creative person. I have a huge imagination. So when I read a book and I can actually see everything play out in front of my face, I'm drawn in. Um, And it was actually so well written that I could see, like I can, without the book in front of me right now, I can still see pieces that stood out to me. I can see them um, rolling out, how it played out. I can see Valencia as the little girl, you know, with the knife in her hand going towards that thought. I can see um, you know, the, the, them at the funeral and, and not being able to get there. And, and um, I even had said to you, Valencia, one time before, I said, I felt like I wanted to scream, let them see. Why can't they see that their mother? So, I mean, it was an absolutely amazing book. It, it really, it took you through every piece of, of, of the journey. And you didn't, lose, you, you didn't get lost you were able to follow along and able to actually see what was going on and to know what was happening, how she, how she was thinking, how Valencia was feeling, you know, and, and it helped me to even understand why she is the woman she is today just to a lot of degrees. It helped me understand that that's why she's so giving, that's why she's so bold, that's why she's so forthcoming because of these experiences. So I think it was an absolutely amazing book, absolutely. Yes, I agree, Shannon. I mean, I think what this book offers in I in my reading, and I am an avid reader, I haven't seen this perspective. You know, a lot of times you hear about, you know, drug abuse from the actual person that has recovered, or you hear from a parent, you know, that's had to deal with um, seeing their child but and usually you hear an adult perspective, you know, how I lived growing up. But to see Valencia wrote this, it's like you hear that little girl. You hear it's like that little girl is just sitting there in front of you and is telling you her story and it's so vivid, so vivid that I mean, you are angry with her. You know, at moments I mean I'm like I wanna shake her mom. Like, you know, why are you doing this? You you have these girls here. You know, why, you know, do you not realize what you're doing to your girls? So it just takes you to a place allowing you to feel the pain, allowing you to understand what was birthed in her through that process of what she had to endure into adulthood, how why she's the way she is, like Shannon said. Now you have a clearer understanding of her passion, you know, why this is her passion, why she is driven and why she has this desire just to see women, to see all people just excel in every area, regardless of your circumstance. Don't allow it to define you. And that book just brought all of those um, reactions out of me. Mm, yes. I don't I don't know what to y'all got my got me like speechless. Um and and I love it. I love that uh y'all talk about that y'all went through the experience of me, you know, living it. And one of the things that I have told many people, I cried every all the emotions um that I wrote in the book I was reliving and and feeling all over again. And um, so it was a lot of, a whole lot of tears. And, in fact, I did honestly gain 10 pounds that stuck during this process of writing this book because emotionally I almost felt handicapped. And I, I felt like I was that girl again. And it was it was kind of, I don't want to say hard to function during that period, but I was so emotionally that Valencia that it, it was a fight to be the Valencia I am now. 
um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So thank you guys so much for those those kind words. So what questions did you guys have? You know, what, what, what questions did you have about the book or, you know, just anything relating to Mother of a Child or the woman that I am now or was? Because let, let's roll with it. I'm ready. <laughs> well, well, your last statement rolls right into to my, one of my first questions I had, um, and I because it I, because it it is such a hard situ- uh, uh, situation to talk about and to even write about, and there are people right now that still have stories, but they're afraid. They have this this fear that holds them from writing the story. But what was the defining moment that caused you to say, "Okay, I have to write this. I need to get this out." Because, um, and that's a, that's a great question. When I wrote the book 10, actually 10 years ago, I was still angry. You know what I'm saying? Like angry. Like I still need to pay some people back. And if you read the book, you know I was talking about stabbing everybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I think two years ago, um, 10, you know, around 10 years ago, I was still at that at that place. So I wrote the book from a place of anger there was like no healing and I don't even think I really forgave my mom at that point so um when I rewrote it last year it it was it was hard it was um it was something I knew I had to do because it just seemed like the world was getting worse and Mm -hmm. and I had to get it out you know what I'm saying it's kind of like when you get a mosquito bite and you you just feel that need to itch it. I don't know what else to compare it to. But I had to get it out because I got tired of seeing people being judged by who they are, who they were and who their parents were, their their situations or what whatever. And people see me now as such a strong, confident woman and I had to let them know, you know, people knew bits and pieces, but I had to let them know it was a fight to get here. And that's why when I do my lives, I'm coming at you, you know, with the mic. I'm coming at you, gangster, when I speak. Like you hear that passionate love in me because I know what it's like to feel like you're the least of everything. And it's not even your fault. And so I had to, like I had to put it put it down because people needed to know that if whatever you go through, it is quite okay. Don't let people judge you or make you feel any kind of way. And, you know, people respect me who I am now and understand that you could get from A to Z, but it's it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a fight. And I felt like people needed that real raw voice, not that sugar-coated, you know, and, Everything else, because I think a lot of times people are sugarcoating or or they're trying to sell it, you know, give me a $1,000 and I'll help you heal. No, this is a whole different thing. And so I had to put it on paper because sometimes when you're broken, you don't want to talk to nobody else, but I could at least read a little bit. Woo, hashtag amen. Amen. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, did you answer the question, Shannon? I went left, right, and sideways. You were fine. You were fine with that. Okay. But what you were saying, you you put the book down, and it took you a while before you were able to pick it back up. Can you say, was there a pinpoint moment, or was there something that happened in your life that told you, I am ready now? that you was really ready. You know, you said you were tired of people, you know, you just wanted to, but did some, you know how you have those stressors or that trigger something right. say, you know what, this is it. It was a um, great question again. Y'all, goodness, y'all was ready. Um, <laughs> I think it was more I was getting older, and I knew the story needed to be told. Like, I knew that. For several reasons, I didn't want um, my son to think that, you know, this grandmother he ever knew was just a crackhead, right? Mm -hmm. And I didn't Mm -hmm. want um, 
my mom to just be another unsolved murder in, in Baton Rouge, you know. And I didn't want, like, a, a book could reach way more people than I will ever meet and speak to. And there was no, like, particular click. I think it was a growing process, and then all of a sudden you realize you're grown and you're healed mm-hmm. and you needed to do this. Because it's actually been on my official, quote, unquote, to-do list the last two years. But one of the oh. things that I said um, is that I wasn't going to publish the book until my grandmother passed. And at the time oh. that I said this two years ago, I had no idea my grandmother was my grandmother was going to get sick and pass away last year. So um, when when she passed, I was able to be honest. I was able to really tell the story without worrying about, you know, my grandmother feeling some kind of way or getting third-party information from people mm-hmm. that assume what the book is about, you know, in my family because that has happened before. And um, I wanted to be free to write, free to, to be honest, free to get it out. So when my grandmother passed July of last year, it was a few things that happened to let me know it was time. My grandmother passed and a month after after she died, every you know, they it was I just wanted a piece of her jewelry to put in the jewelry box she gave me. And the one thing my grandmother always wore, never took off with her class ring from, like, before I was born. She never took that ring off. But, like, a month uh-huh. before she died, her body got swole, so she couldn't she couldn't wear it. And they, my family had looked for that ring from the moment she died. Like, they looked for it. But I went to her house, like, a month later, and I opened her jewelry box, and that ring was sitting right there. Wow. So, to me... They gave me an okay, you know what I'm saying? Yes. And so then yes. the same the same moment I was there, you know, my family was going through my aunt's, my grandmother's stuff, and they found a tablet with points my mom wrote back in, you know, around, I would say probably before she started doing drugs or around the same time, that I was able to publish and see, had I pulled the trigger and published it before, I would not have had those. Wow. So to me, yes. it was like, because I was even debating with it around that time. But the ring and finding my mom's poems, it was like, okay, it's time to pull the trigger and hit the target. It's time to do this. It's time to do it. Time to do it. No more excuses. Time to do it. So that was the trigger, so to speak. Mm. Wow. I mean, that's beautiful, though, because it's almost like they gave, you know, their voice, a part of them told you, okay, they released you to go ahead and move forward with the book. That is, like, awesome. Yes, yes, yes. Now, I do want to know, because... You know, reading it, a, a lot of people, and I'm sure people read it now and still would say, how? You know, how did you, you move past that? But not even just how. Has there ever been a moment where you sat down with, with you know, you had your aunt and your cousin that, that there was this thing with them? Was there ever a moment you sat down with them and asked them, like, why? Why why was your sure. treatment towards me this way? Mm. Oh, good question. Who's saying that I wasn't ready? I wasn't ready, <laughs> Lord. Um, no. And and okay. I'm going to tell you why. Um, you can't have conversations with people that feel like they did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. So, and, and honestly, like me being 100, there's nothing that they can say to undo what happened, there's nothing that they can say where I feel like it would excuse how I was treated. Um, and then let's just be honest about a few things in in, in families, especially in, in the black community, and I can't speak for other communities because I'm black and my family's black, but there's a lot of things that we don't discuss. And 
in what I find is like with people that did different things in the book, there was never discussions. Now, I would have called people out. I've called people out like when I talk about being touched, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. I've said mm-hmm. to, 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 to my family, you know, um, when they ask, you know, why I wouldn't bring my son around or why I wouldn't do this, I'm sorry, you know, I, and no, I'm not sorry. Like, I'm sorry and not sorry, but I'm not going to sit here and break bread with someone that touches children. Right. And and that would be me. Those are the things I would say, you know, um, and the only discussions that would happen from that is, girl, that was so long, long ago. Get, you know, you he ain't like that no more. Get over that and everything else. So, so you can't have discussions with people that don't feel like they did anything wrong. Even with this book, even with this book, because it had came back to me third party, mind you, which is why I didn't write it before my grandmother passed, um, that some people are mad about it. And, and I have to kind of take the attitude of, you know, it's okay that you're mad, but tell me that I'm a lie. Nobody right. can say that. Yeah. Yeah. Woo! Y'all starting to fire. We ain't even 30 minutes in. <laughs> um, now, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, I honestly got a half-hearted apology from my aunt um, years ago, before I even, like, re- started rewriting a book or even thought about rewriting it. But, it, like I said, it was, it was half-hearted because I don't treat her like I treat my, treat my other aunts or uncles or so on and so forth. So um, I was like, you know, okay. And and moved on. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, like I right. I love my aunt and my cousin. You know, I even love you know the person that violated me because we are called to love. Now I don't have to like you. Right. <laughs> Those are my feelings. You know, but I do have to have have love. I do have to love. And you know, if someone went to do something to my aunt to this day, regardless of how she treated me. I will. I. You got to deal with me, yeah. right? Because that's still at the end of the day. That's still my aunt, and I have to allow her, no matter how hard it is, Lord. You have to sometimes allow people grace. And I posted, like I posted that in a group. I could, you know, forgiveness is one thing. Oh, I could forgive you and move on. Grace to me is a whole other because that means something different, and I have to allow her to be human. And I have to allow myself not to feel like she should have been held to a certain standard, you know, right, wrong, or whatever. Now, will I ever have, like, um, a quote-unquote normal normal uh, relationship with her? I, I doubt it very seriously because then I go back to my original statement. You can't have discussions with people that kind of really don't feel like they did anything wrong. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, that is true. So when you got ready to write the book, did you have a conversation with your son about what was coming out, or how did he know this before you actually wrote the book, or did you allow him to read the book once it was finished to give him some insight of what to be prepared for, or had y'all had that conversation? Well, we actually um, – my son is about – he'll be 21 Friday um, – so as he got older older in life, I was able to start telling him certain things because I had to wanted him to know why I would not really take him around my family. So uh-huh. I, I told him things at the age level I felt he could handle certain things. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I started writing the book, you know, I talked to him, let him know, hey, I'm finally writing a book. And like I said, I didn't want him feeling like something was wrong with him or in his DNA because his grandmother was a drug addict. So I was able to have those conversations with him and tell him, you know, even though she was like this, she still did this. And, you know, of course, me and my husband had those conversations. So that way, when both of them knew, when both of them walked into my office and I was up here crying and typing, they knew what was going on. They knew. And um, the only other person who I talked to before I decided to go ahead and 
published a book with my sister to get her permission to let her know, hey, this is what's what's going on, this is what I'm doing, and to get her permission to publish my mom's points in the in the book, you know, because that was our mom, you know. And I wanted her, I didn't want, even though, you know, I could have did it anyway without asking her. I have the points. I'm the oldest. I could have justified that a million different ways. But I wanted her to feel like she had a say-so in something I was doing having to do with our mom. Uh Uh-huh. So, yes, ma'am. Definitely. So, and I mentioned it earlier, for whatever reason, I think, this part in the book really stood out to me because I don't know, I guess I know how I would feel. So I'm wondering, not being able to actually go up and see your mom in her coffin, they closed it and you and your sister just there. They didn't even care to, to let y'all come and just to see her that last time. Has that had a major impact on you in the in the years after that? Mm-hmm. To, to this day, it still does, to some extent, honestly. Um, and it almost seemed like a surreal moment. And people that have read the book or people that know that that happened um, can't believe it, you know? Like, who does that? And it, it was, when it happened, it was kind of like in, in slow motion, like I was there and I wasn't. Because I just knew they were going to open it back up. Like, you couldn't tell me they were not. How are you not? What do you mean you're not going to open it up? Like, like what do you mean? You know? So I think that that left, that created a new wound that could never be, be closed, honestly. Yeah. That created a, a new wound because I didn't get a chance to you know, say that final, like, goodbye. Like, mm-hmm. I'm her kid. I mean, it's, it's, it's sad that everybody at the doggone funeral, because, you know, at, at funerals you start with the fam- the friends, then the extra mm-hmm. relatives and everything else. So once again, me and my sister were being put last, even in this last moment, because the, the friends had all went and said goodbye and, some of the extended family started going, but then when it when it came to our turn, there was no turn. Wow! And they would not open it back because other people acting a fool. But hold on, this is my mom. That still makes me. You can still uh-huh. oh, that still like burns to this day. So. I was angry because the main I looked at it like the main people that, that downed her and talked about her and treated us any kind of way took this last moment for me. Oh, yeah, I was angry yeah. for a whole lot of years behind that because that is, you know, like that is something that can't be undone. And that, that's something like you, you know, some, sometimes it's still honestly – bothers me even though, you know, here it is 20 plus years later it's, but still like I remember that part if I forgot everything else from my mom's funeral, I will never forget them closing that casket like we didn't have the right yes our voices didn't matter I was 17, my sister was 16 we didn't, we didn't matter again oh Jesus and call us if you're on the line and have questions. <laughs> Feel free to press one, and we could get you on on the show. We're talking all things motherless child. If you're listening online, you can make comments on Define You Radio's Facebook page. And yeah, it's a it's a very interesting discussion. And if you haven't got the book, go to bit.ly slash motherless child, and it'll take you to the Amazon link. So y'all roll with it. Y'all got me and my feelings. Eyelashes on white. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we're speaking about the funeral, there was one uh, 
another moment that really stood out to me in the book, um, at your mother's funeral, and it was the moment when you stood up and you were saying you wanted, you know, you wanted to speak and you were trying to get the words to come out, but the statement that your mother had told you three weeks prior which you would speak at her funeral, it's like she had prepared you for that moment. When you had to write that part, I mean, that's powerful to know that now I'm standing here and I'm already prepared to say. Just tell us that moment. Take us to that moment for you. Y'all not playing no games. I am literally (laughs) on the hot seat tonight. Jesus, that moment, um, even having that conversation with her, you know, three weeks before she died, and um, it was crazy because I was going through all kind of turmoil. At that point, I ran away. I was like, I'm done with it and everything else. And I just thought it was quite funny that they brought my mom to try to make me go back to living with them, you know. Mm -hmm. And But Mm -hmm. my mom, very much, regardless of, whether she was, you know, high at the moment or not high or whatever, my mom always had a, um, she was always in her right mind. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So even, but I could tell different things she did, whether she was high or not, but she was always in in her right mind. So somebody else that didn't know her wouldn't know. But when she told me, told me, you know, if, if I die, I want you to say this at my funeral. Like, what? What are you talking about? You know, I'm thinking, okay, here it is. My mom just got drugged by a car, um, I think a week or two before that, and was scratched up and scraped up me, everything else. I'm like, this woman is superwoman. Nothing, nothing's going to, you know, end this drug problem, honestly. That that was my thing, because I'm like, if you get dr- drugged by a car, you know, and you didn't die mm-hmm. and you didn't stop doing drugs, you know, I was I was just like outdone, and I really wasn't trying to hear her. Who who wants to hear when when someone's saying that? So I'm thinking yeah. it was just this crazy, crazy moment, and I didn't know it was that that last conversation. Wow. I didn't, and and I wasn't I wasn't ready. But then that conversation I had with her came to my mind, and. It just, it just didn't seem right. It just didn't, it didn't seem fair. I was seventeen. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. <laughs> but it had, it had to be done. And um, wow, that's like a kind uh, of a summary of my life. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's kind of a summary of my life. Mm-hmm. It may have been hard uh, and ugly, and people have asked me, girl, how did you live through this? I just did, and that was the thing at the funeral. I didn't have a choice. I, I had to because I wasn't going to – I didn't want it to be like, oh, it's, you know, we at uh, Grizz Funeral because that's, that's what everybody – uh, caught my mom. We had Grizz funeral, them drugs finally got her, and, you know, nothing, mm-hmm. you know, everybody with their own feelings. No, I want you to hear from her own mouth what she said, and no mm-hmm. one could take that from her, because her last uh-huh. words that her child heard was no matter what, I always love my girls. Wow. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, it just really feels like you've given your mother a voice. Not only at her funeral, you were able to give her a voice, but then through her your writing and being able to publish her poems, it's like you are still allowing her to be heard. And it's like just beautiful. Wow. Yeah, yes, yes. Absolutely. It was, um, thank you. And that was. Because as of today, my mom's murder is still unsolved. Uh And um, that bothers me to some extent, and to some extent it doesn't. Because at the end of the day, it, it, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, 
I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but, you know, I'm past the point of, like, I want to find out who killed my mom so I could kill them, you know, because, of course, I went through that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And then I went through a point of, well, I wonder, and it was so crazy because for the longest time, my mom always carried this uh, little clear purse. And she had, like, my prom picture in there, a picture of my sister and, you know, probably some lip gloss and other stuff. But I remember she had the picture. So for the longest time, I'm like, I'm I'm wondering if whoever killed her, like, took her purse and know what me and my sister look like. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. You wow. know? Because yeah. from, what I, from what I know, you know, but mind you, me and my sister are pretty much, didn't know anything, still still mm-hmm. don't. We don't know what may have been found with her or not. I don't know if her purse was found or if the person, you know, shot her and took off with her purse and know what me and my sister look like. Like, that wow. bothered me. So, I, you know, me in, in my gangster G-baby mode, like, okay, I got to <laughs> find out who killed my, you know, killed my mom so I can find them because they, you know, ain't nobody going to do nothing to my sister. Ain't nobody going to do nothing to my baby sister. And, um, yes. you know, like that was that was my mindset. But I knew I couldn't go to jail because my sister was still underage, right? So <laughs> that was not an option <laughs> then. So uh, at, at some point in my life, my sister, just just knowing that, She's there, you know. I couldn't have her lose, you know. My dad was gone. I could, and my mom was had been killed, and then her sister's in jail. She'd have nobody for real. Wow. And so I, I left it alone. And I don't know if maybe, if maybe one day I may go and you know try to investigate and see if they could find out anything, you know, find out what she, what did they find with her? Find out, see if we could, you know, find out who killed her or whatever. I I don't know. Um, but the most important thing to me was for people to realize she was more than somebody on drugs living in a in a crack house. She was more than what they mm-hmm. said, you know, and it made me so mad because for the longest time I was like, I'm going to go to the news station and cut up. How dare you say, you know, just talk about it so casually like the weather. Dead right. body found. Lord have mercy, uh, in the ditch with two gunshot wounds to the head. It, you know, she was living a, a high-risk lifestyle. I don't know if they say that as much. I don't pay attention. I don't watch the news. But mm-hmm. somebody living a high-risk lifestyle, going outside your house today is high-risk. <laughs> That's you true. know? Yeah. But yeah. does that excuse yeah. a, a, a murder? At the end of the day, she was 34, she was like, wow. like just thirty four. Still, like I was working on coming to my senses at thirty four, you know. Yeah. But at thirty four, I hadn't did like anything, you know. Mm. And so, you don't really realize how young that is until you pass that age. And I was like, she got, she, she got to have a voice because she was so. So much more than that. In 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 between, in in between doing doing drugs, you know. Before that, she wrote, you know. And if you read her poems, and I didn't publish all of them, but if you read them, you could kind of hear the heartbreak in her words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was hard for me because I wanted to make some phone calls. You know what I'm saying? Like who who hurt her like this? Yeah, right. God, exactly. Still working on y'all. <laughs> you know, was that was that the was that the 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 trigger? What was the triggers for her to start doing drugs? You know, um, yeah. Because there was a lot of similarities in in my mom's life and in mine. There was like a whole lot, but I was just a different kind of a different kind of person. I was just different. I don't want to oh. say I was stronger than her. Um, I just think emotionally, because my dad's side is, is very different from my mom's side. So I think emotionally, 
that may have been the difference. Also, the fact I have no uh, tolerance for drugs, which is why I almost overdose on over-the-counter medicine. Um, <laughs> you know, so God made me this way for a reason. That's why on the title it says somebody had to be here to tell the story. Because I yeah. don't, I, sometimes I wonder, Lord, how I'm still here? Because I did some stuff. That was not in the book. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, you had some close encounters in the book. I mean, really. Oh, yeah. You had some yeah. close oh, encounters yeah. in the book. So, yes, oh, you yeah. are a fighter. Yes, yes. It was crazy, guys. It was crazy. Um, it's, it's like, I don't even, like, to me, there wasn't an option. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I wasn't like a coward. You know, you can't be scared of anybody that gets jumped in the gang in like sixth grade. You know, like pretty much at this age, I'm, I've done it all. There's no, you know, nothing that I could say I'm scared of besides lizards. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. That's like <laughs> it. I don't know why. But it's it's like... Because I've tried death, you know, I feel like I've called death's hand, like, come get me, I'm ready to go. Yeah. But at the end, that fighter in me just was not having it. Um, I got hit by a car, you know, I, did, I didn't put that in the book, you know. And the people didn't mm-hmm. hit me on purpose. I don't, I, I would just say that. I think, I don't think they did because I didn't know them. But um, <laughs> but I got hit hit by a car walking home in the rain, and I literally, like, I got up. I got hit by the car. It's funny thinking about it because it's, it's funny and sad, but this was my mentality. I just got up, cussed those people out, and started trying to walk home. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, limping, limping, scraped up, soaking wet and all. You know, because I had already, when I got up from that ground and it was on, if you from Baton Rouge, it was out walking home from Goodwood Library to uh, to Wooddale where my grandmother lives. So if you from, from Baton Rouge, you, you know where I'm talking about. And I was walking down that road and then people hit me in the rain and I hopped up like, listen, planning these people murder already. Like, I'm oh, like, wow. these people hit me. But um, they made me lay down. The ambulance came. I knew I was going to die in the ambulance because they had strapped my neck to the um, whatever you call the little thing, the little board thing. And I'm crying and, and talking, cussing, crying, cussing, and planning these people murder at the same time. Um, and I was, like, in, what, between eighth and ninth grade then. So when I say I had to. I realized that the devil has tried to take me out, and a lot of times he was using me against me. Because then nobody would have got healing from this book. I was trying to kill myself. Like who who stands in the face of somebody with a gun and say, "You gonna shoot me in my face?" Uh. Like you know. Um, and I had to had to realize that like the 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 devil was really trying to take me out. And I was making it easy because I didn't care if I lived or died. I was going to kill everybody. That, you know, you, you you hurt me. I was going to, I didn't care about you. I didn't care about me. I didn't care about nothing. And that's why I sympathize with people that that's like in that dark place. Because when you're in that dark place and you can't see, you don't know what to fight. So you fight everything because you, you can't see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jesus Lord. I often tell people it's like boxing blindfolded, just swinging. Mm-hmm. And it, it and it feels like can't nobody understand that, or, no. or people don't want to talk about it. That'll be the best way to say because yeah, we want to act like you know. I I wake, pray, and slay every day. Okay, well, I honestly to this day I don't have days like that all the time. I will I will wake up. And I will pray, and sometimes the prayer don't catch me like I need it to, and I don't feel like slaying anything. And I start mm-hmm. feeling the, the shadow 
of, of life come on me. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not dark, but I start feeling those shadows, and then those voices, you know, will come back. You still that that girl that did this. You still that. You still that. What you did ain't ain't nothing, and you deserve the life you had. And your mama was this, and your mama was that, and everything else. So I say all that to say, even even though, you know. The book is like, yay, life. But it's not going to be everyday like, yay, life. And you have mm-hmm. to have to, have to to constantly fight. And that's the one thing. If, if people take nothing else from the book, I want them to learn that you have to constantly fight, period. That's why everything yeah. I do, I'm talking about, uh, you know, fighting this or ninja chopping this or whatever. Like, you you got to be a warrior these days. And sometimes the war starts and ends in your mind. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I, I, that's my two cents. No, <laughs> <laughs> no you, you're talking truth. Yeah, you are absolutely talking true. Absolutely. But let, let me ask you this, because this is, this is the question most people want to know. How did you begin the healing process, and what was the hardest part of that? Mm. How how did I begin? Um, I would say when I talk about the incident where I was about to uh, overdose, right, um, healing happened accidentally on purpose, if that makes sense. Because, you know, like I was just, trying to learn what life was because all I knew was how to survive. Surviving is is easy for me. I'm a warrior. But learning how to live meant that I had to let stuff go. Hold on. I'm justified for hating this person. I'm just, you know, I feel, you know, I could justify a whole (laughs) lot of stuff. I could, you know, justify it, but it wasn't helping me. So I had to learn how to how to start just Valencia, you can't change it. You can't. And that that was the whole, one of the hardest things for me to accept. Because if you know me, I'm very uh I'm not gonna say names, I'm not gonna call names, but people will call me drill sergeant and different things like that. Because I come on it. You know what I mean? Own it. I like to know X Y Z and everything else. And so for me to realize that I can't control something or go back and do something about something, then then that bothers me. But I had to start learning to let go. The hardest part of, of healing. So it, it was a process, I say that. So I started walking and talking to myself and, you know, Valencia, you are this, you are that. You, life is good. Life is great. And that was definitely not the truth at the time. But you have to believe the 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 cliche I guess that you know speak it speak it believe it all that kind of stuff like it is mm-hmm. true and you may find find yourself feeling stupid and not believing it and everything else but I'm telling you eventually speaking life to yourself you you put it out it's gonna come back into you oh yeah and I had to uh the I think the hardest part of that was admitting that I that I hated my mom I had oh, a lot wow. blamed her for it everything because see if she wouldn't have cheated on my dad if she wouldn't have messed with mess with that man if she wouldn't have started drugs if she didn't you know it, it was like all if she didn't and so of course I hated her you know everybody else had a normal childhood but I had to realize um that was part of the process which that was something I never wanted to say or admit out loud, but it's a perfect, perfectly natural reaction right. to, to the person that's supposed to love you unconditionally, love you the most, didn't fulfill their end of the bargain. And oh. so I had to learn to um, forgive her. I had to, number one, admit that. I had to learn to forgive her. And and I then I had to learn who she was outside of drugs, and and think about that. Because see, if you got an uh, sixty minutes, and of those sixty minutes, only one minute is good, 
it's easy to focus on the 59 bad ones. Yes. So I had to focus on that, the, those one-minute increments that she was, like, actually a mom. And that mm-hmm. helped in, in, in the process. And one of the things that was crazy that I really didn't realize, I had to forgive me. Because I felt guilty because I felt like, you know, big, bad G-baby, I should have been stronger. I should have been able to stop her from doing drugs. I should have been able to hurt everybody that hurt her. I should have defended her. I should have did this. I should have did that. You know, I'm G-baby. You know what I'm saying? So um, I should have been able to take care of my sister. I should have been a, a, a better sister. I should have hurt my stepdad and just went to juvenile because then maybe my mom and my sister would have been all right. I should have did this. I should have did that. I felt guilty for things I had no business feeling guilty about. But just something you just said, something that you just said, Valencia, was like really, really powerful. And I don't think a lot of people, I don't think that people may have caught that or people may not understand the impact of what you just said that you had to be okay with saying that you hate your mom in order to get to that place where you could forgive her. Because I think so often, you know, we want to get to the process, go ahead and get to forgiveness where, you know, I want to forgive people so I can be free. But I think we forget that point that you have to admit that you really don't like it, that you really hate it, you know, that you're mad and that you're angry. And especially for young people, you think about, that's why I say your book is going to be like so freeing for so many people because you have kids that have lived or that are currently living in environments that you describe in your book. And they know, like you said, it's my mom. I don't supposed to hate my mom. I don't supposed to hate my dad. You know, my dad left me. I don't. I, but I, if you want to get to that place of forgiveness, and I think you just what you said was like powerful because people don't realize there is forget that healing that takes place when you can say those words. Mm-hmm. Because no one ever right. thought you would actually say that. Right? Because who? Wow. Excuse me. Who said, who said that? Yeah. Who, wow. who said that? And then if you grew up how I grew up, me oh, even yeah. thinking a thought was going to send me to hell. You know, yeah. I'm in Louisiana. <laughs> you know, yeah. thou shalt honor thy mother or father, you going straight to hell. Ain't no $200 yeah. when you pass, go. Yeah. So it, yeah. it's like I had to deny my feelings. You know, I had to deny how I felt. And if you deny how you feel, you can't heal from it. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, wow, so that's I powerful. talk to somebody and, and say, um, you know, I don't, you know, I just, I don't like my mother doing drugs. You know, yeah, that really, <laughs> that, that helped. That's powerful. <laughs> you know. Right. It didn't help, no. You know, we. They, I never forget, they sent me to, they, and I'm using they, the infamous they, sent me to therapy mm-hmm. to help me deal with my mama's drug problem. And this was right. before she, this was before she died. The therapist told me, write down how you, how you feel as you're feeling it. What? Is this going to make my mama stop doing drugs? Like, I'm confused why I'm here, sir. You know, mind you, I always had a, a, a smart tie break to the point. Mouth. Instead of saying, Valencia, how do you feel about your mom? This is a safe place, to be honest. I hate her. I hate that she cheated on my dad. I hate that she was so, you know, weak that she started doing drugs. I hate me and my sister got to live with other people. Because if you say that, oh, no, don't say that. Just Mm. pray for her. Just pray for Mm. her because, you know, in the Bible it says, okay, well, show me in the Bible where it talks about drug abuse. Right? Exactly. Mic drop. Well, that's just, wow. <laughs> so, so the 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 Bible doesn't specifically address this situation. That's not in the Ten Commandments. Wow. So show me, show me how can I get, how can I get to the healing from the Bible if I can't even admit to something the Bible doesn't address. Hmm. That my that my that oh. I was parentless. I was an orphan. Because remember, my dad never showed up. That's a whole other book. You know? Oh. 
So I was I was mm-hmm. an orphan te- legally and technically because me and my sister were minors, but yet and still I, I couldn't say that I hated what my parents did to me because I was going to go to hell. Well, it seemed like hell would have been a better option. And people wondered why I didn't want, care if I lived or died. All I had to do was some, some, you know, at least it would have been over. Mm. But you can't, you know. Whoop. Powerful. Y'all play too many games on this show. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's like blaming blaming the divorce on on your ex-husband, you know, speaking from experience. And, and he did X, Y, and Z, you know, he did X, Y, and Z. But let me just have a mm-hmm. moment of hashtag real talk. I cheated on this man. So I could either say, I could either admit, um, you know, and who wants to say that? I'm like, let's see, you yes. cheated, you are married, you're definitely going to hell. You know? Right. <laughs> you know? Uh, hashtag things left out the book. I think I left it out the book. I'm not sure. Um, and mind you, I did say ex-husband, so everybody that's taking notes just know this, you know, take that note too. So I can't yes. truly, truly blame his um, possessive and psychoness on him because I was I cheated on him. It, it was it was like an endless cycle. You you act crazy. I'm a I'm a up some crazy. I'm a up mm-hmm. the crazy. Because you know. Yeah. Real talk. While continuing to keep ourselves in bondage. Yeah. It's part right. of the problem because we stay in bondage. Yep. You know, and let certain people tell it. I've been going to hell. You know, because I got <laughs> tattoos. I'm going to hell. You going to oh, hell because you hear spirits and you got tattoos. Well, Lord, I've done so much <laughs> besides oh, yeah. tattoos to go to hell that that's the least thing I'm worried about. But we, But what about the person that violated me when I was you know, five and younger. Is he is he going to right. hell too, yeah. or is you, right. you know that happened? Then it goes back to the beginning. That happened so long ago. He he's not like that no more. Forgive him, but I can't be forgiven for tattoos. Right. Yes. Wow. I, you, I got questions. <laughs> I, I got questions. So, woo, that time went by fast. Yes. <laughs> wow. That time went by fast. Um, I just it went by fast. That's all I could say. It's it's been. I just only. I think I'm gonna have to take a nap. I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready. Um, y'all so were, just to this, end out. It, yeah, I was gonna say for you to end out, Valencia. Saying, you know, we've talked about the book, we've talked about the writing process, we've talked about, you know, you um, being the woman that you are today and overcoming. What advice to that young person that is where you've been uh, and they're thinking that their life isn't worth living? They where you've been, what advice would you give that young person? That's a good one. I, it, it was, and I, I don't know that I was ready for that. <laughs> the, the advice I would give to um, a young a young person, old person, anybody that's still holding those uh, things that happened to them, the advice I would honestly give you is to keep fighting because if it already happened to you, that means you've already been hurt by it. You can't be re-hurt by it. So keep fighting because you're still here for a reason and find something to do with that pain. There's always, and I know it sounds cliche and it may sound a little ignorant and crazy because when I heard it, I was like, "Uh uh-uh, but there is always a purpose behind the pain because if you live through something that hurt you, it's because somebody else is dying 
in something that hurt you. Hmm. I would mm-hmm. say, um, right. That that's like because to me that's like that was my escape. Right, write it out. Write crying. Write screaming. Write angry. Write it out. Whether you're a writer or not, I'm not saying you have to be a writer, but you have to find that trusted place where you can let it let it out. Yeah. And I would I would say just just those things definitely know that you're here. Like the the hurt the hurt hurt part is done. Thank God. Is is done. So fight hmm. to prove the statistics wrong. I don't like statistics. Yes. Don't nobody tell G baby what to do. <laughs> you know, fight the yes. statistics. Fight against those people that say, "Oh, you're going to be just like your mom. You ain't going to be nothing. You this, you that. Be so stubborn that can't nobody tell you who you're going to be or what you're going to do with your life." But God. Uh-huh. Yes. And if you have any, if they have any further questions, um, they could definitely contact me, and I will put you in contact with 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 people. And I'm a great listening ear uh, of all ages. And um, just know that there's nothing wrong with you because of what happened to you. So that's my. That's perfect. Okay. <laughs> uh, that was a hard one. I need to kind of get that one down because I would have so much, so much advice. Like, let me adopt you and put some fire in you and let you know, stubborn people change the world. It's a season of warriors. It's a season of all of those with scars to help those that got wounds. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. I'm scarred up from times I've been wounded, but scars mean that I've healed from my wounds. So I got to realize yes. some people still bleeding. Yes, yeah. You know, and we got to be scared to stop to to not show our scars. You know, what I'm saying so many people scared to show show their scars because you don't want people to know you ever been hurt. No, you gonna see my scars and my tattoos, so you know I've been around. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it has been. And I think awesome. that deserves a hashtag amen right there. <laughs> yeah. the scars and tattoos. Scars and tattoos. Yes. You know. So um great. Yeah, the hot the first hot seat I could say has been truly hot like cayenne pepper. If you don't know what that is, go to Google. It's real hot. It's a, <laughs> I think cayenne is a Louisiana thing. I don't know. It's the hot seat. So um Miss Lavon, so the audience can reach out and connect with you and stay uh, uh, abreast of all the hot seat and I am selfish and everything, LaVon, how can they get in touch with you? You can follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at LaVon Copeland, and also my website, www.lavoncopeland.com. Follow me on social media. We are in the midst of the 45-day live challenge on the road to 45 with the I Am Selfish movement. Everything's easy because it's just my name, LaVon Copeland. <laughs> and she is going to post that information on the Find You Radio page where you guys could find that, connect with her, and hashtag I am selfish. And guess what? That is perfectly yes. fine with me. And in Shadon, how can the audience connect with you and find out more about you? Um, they can reach me on my uh, webpage, uh, Uh Facebook, you can look me up at Shadon, Instagram and Twitter, at The Real Shadon, uh, uh, Periscope as well as The Real Shadon, Google Shadon, um, just put in Shadon, you'll find me. I promise you'll find me. YouTube, Shadon, you'll find me. That's like. Just Google. Click on something that got my name on Google. You don't right. find it. I, I love it. 
I promise that's, that's like the easiest way now. That's the easiest way. Absolutely. And of course everything hashtag fly and she fly, you know. So we have three three great movements on one show. It is truly the hot seat. We got hashtag yes. I'm selfish, hashtag fly and hashtag define you. Y'all know it's gonna be some foolishness going on. But real <laughs> but real talk foolishness. Like we're we're gonna be talking real real stuff. So if you have any um and Shannon, make sure you post that on the Defining Radio's Facebook page, too. Guys, I want to know how you enjoyed the hot seat. If you have any topics you would like us, three queens and a mic, to to discuss, <laughs> go ahead and drop it in my inbox, Shannon's inbox, LaVon's inbox. Let us know how you enjoyed tonight's show. It has been a truly um, unexpectedly great emotional yeah. journey writing the book and, and the show. And and the show, and maybe one day we'll tell you how the hot seat started, but we'll save that for we'll save that for next time. <laughs> when I what when I say earlier, accidentally on purpose, yeah. <laughs> accidentally, <laughs> accidentally on on purpose. Shannon, Shannon is name and name. It happens when you think out loud. I was just thinking out loud. Yes, that that'll definitely be a discussion to uh when when you are, are with people that want to see you succeed, make sure you yes. be mindful when you think out loud. So with that being yes. said uh with that being said guys, pens and papers down, class is officially over until next time. Remember your past doesn't define you, it gives you definition and it's up to you what you do with that. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to Define You Radio. Make sure you connect with the show at www.defineuradio.com. Pins and papers down. Class dismissed.